Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a study in the book of Ecclesiastes called Unsatisfied, The Search for Meaning. We're learning that chasing after satisfaction apart from God will leave us empty. Thanks for joining us. I, the teacher, was king of Israel. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I learned firsthand that pursuing all this was like chasing the wind. I soon discovered that God had dealt a tragic existence to the human race. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. And no matter how much we hear, we're not content. So I said to myself, come on, let's look for the good things in life. While still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. And in this way, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life. I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I owned large herds and flocks. I collected great sums of silver and gold. I had everything a man could desire. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. But as I looked upon everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I was five years old, the first time I remember knowing there was something in this world that was gonna satisfy my soul. My neighbor had it. It was the green machine. You see, I had a big wheel that came from Goodwill, but he had the green machine. And I just knew I knew as a five-year-old, if I could get my hands on my very own green machine, then that deep hole in my heart would be filled. I'm sure you know the rest of the story. I got the green machine. And that was my first lesson in learning that my hole was still in my heart, that the green machine could not satisfy the longing I had. Now, I'm not the only one who's experienced in this. Tom Brady, who was interviewed after his third Super Bowl win by 60 Minutes in an incredibly candid moment, he said these words, listen, there's got to be more to life than this, isn't there? Here's the most gifted, famous, affluent athlete of our time, and he was still unsatisfied after winning three Super Bowls. He's won more since then. Tom Brady, though, is simply voicing what so many people experience today. Did you know that most Americans are richer than any people ever in the history of the world, and yet... We still suffer from what I would call a poverty of the soul. We are told every day that if you just work harder and get that next raise, that will satisfy you. So we do, and it doesn't. We're told every day that if you just buy this new product, it'll fill the longing in your soul. So we buy it, and it gives us a buzz for a little while, but then the buzz wears off, and we're still left unfulfilled. We think, maybe if I just change jobs, 
Maybe if I just change relationships, that's where I'm gonna find deep meaning in my life. And so we change jobs and we move and we discover, hey, this job's a lot like my last job. In fact, the weather's not so nice here. We keep thinking that this or that or this is gonna be the thing that ultimately satisfies that. Why am I sharing all this? Well, because this fall as a church, we're entering into a study of the book of Ecclesiastes together. And this morning we come to the question in Ecclesiastes that all of us ask at one time as human beings. I asked it when I was five years old. If you're following on your notes, can a person find satisfaction by chasing after pleasure? Can a person find satisfaction in life? Can they fill the longing in their life by chasing after the pleasures of this world? Whatever those are for you. Now before we look at this particular section in Ecclesiastes, let me just mention, uh, if you're new to us, if you're visiting, if you weren't here last week, we kicked off this series called Unsatisfied, a study in Ecclesiastes. Pastor Jeff kicked it off, and I'll just brag on him a little bit. He did a tremendous job opening up this series, and I would highly encourage you, if you weren't here, if you missed it, to go back and listen to that online, not only because he did a tremendous job, but also because he lays such an important foundation for where we're going to be going together as a church the rest of of this fall, but let me just remind you of a couple things that we learned here that makes this book so unique. First, we learned that in Ecclesiastes, he is chasing after, Solomon's gonna chase after the meaning of life. He's chasing after satisfaction. Now, personally, I think this book right here is probably the most contemporary book in the Bible. I would maybe say 1 Corinthians as well, but between those two, I mean, we're talking about a guy who is asking questions that many people are still asking today. He wants to know where we find meaning. He wants to know how we can find satisfaction in life. But here's what makes this book so unique and sometimes kind of troubling. He doesn't give us the answers. Instead, he uses a technique of asking hard questions in order to, here's the word Jeff used, goad us. We don't use that word much anymore today, but it's a goad was simply an instrument that farmers would use in order to make sure their cattle kept moving, in order to make sure the, the, they were plowing straight, they would poke them a little bit to make sure that they were going in the right direction. And so the technique Solomon uses is he's gonna goad us by asking the hard questions of life, but just like any good teacher you've ever had, he doesn't give us the answers. Have you ever had one of those teachers? The ones who go, well, here's this option, there's this option, and this option, and you just want to strangle them and go, tell me the right answer. What do you think? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes is like that. He will say, here are the hard questions of life. You're going to have to come to your own conclusions about how to answer them. So just as a warning, Ecclesiastes is a challenging, and I'm going to be honest, sometimes a very depressing book, because it seems like Solomon discovers that life under the sun, it's a super huge important statement he makes, that life under the sun is meaningless, or as Chuck showed us, that Hebrew word there is hevel, a vapor, a mist. He blew bubbles up on stage last week, right? Bubbles are here for one moment, and they're gone the next. But as we will see later, perhaps there's more than meets the eye in life under the sun. Perhaps there's more, but right now, 
We can't answer that question. That's going to come later. Right now in Ecclesiastes, we're in a part where Solomon is going to explore everything that life under the sun has to offer in order to discover what can bring us true satisfaction. So this morning, he is going to chase after pleasure. He is going to become a hedonist. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't get any more 2017 than this right here, friends. So I encourage you to take your Bible and turn it to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And if you're still getting used to where Ecclesiastes is in your Bible, it's literally almost about halfway through. You get to Proverbs. It's just to the right of Proverbs there. If you didn't bring your own Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the Bibles we have in the seats underneath you there. And you can find Ecclesiastes 2 on page 461 of those black Bibles there. As we're turning there, let's just pause and remind ourselves that he is the great teacher, that he is the only one that can show us what he wants us to see this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your divine wisdom you included this book in the Bible. We thank you that we have the opportunity now to open it, to study it, to learn from it. So we invite your spirit to join us. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to hear your word, not my words, your word this morning. We pray this for your sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start by reading Ecclesiastes 2.1 out loud on our notes there. This really sums up the whole section of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Would you read Solomon's word? He writes, I said to myself... Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Now, every statement in this short sentence is important. The word test indicates that what follows, what we're about to read, is an experiment that Solomon is going to undergo. He's going to do a deliberate attempt to discover something. And what he wants to discover is whether pleasure whether pleasure can truly satisfy his soul. The other important word which gets repeated in every single verse of this passage is the word I. I. There's a whole lot of me, myself, and I in these verses. And so what we discover right away, if you're following on your notes, is that Solomon makes his personal happiness his chief end in life. He's undergoing a test. He's going to goad us with questions. When we make our happiness the chief end in life, will it satisfy us? How contemporary is this? Now, if there's ever a person in history who was in a situation where they could pursue every pleasure in life, it's Solomon right here. We talk today about being in the top 1% of the income level in the United States. This guy was in the top 0.000001% of income level of all time. He had every opportunity, anytime he wanted, to take advantage of all the pleasures that life had to offer him. And if we're honest, this is the situation we dream of being in as Americans. We want to experience what we have called the good life. The good life, being able to do and experience and buy anything we want. But here's the question he goads us with. Is it the good life? Is experiencing, buying, having the opportunity to experience every pleasure this world offers us, is that going to bring you satisfaction? That's the question Solomon seeks to answer. So he chases after eight pleasures that are common to everyone. These are nothing new. They're the same pleasures that are still waiting out there for us, for every generation under the sun. Let's look at them. The first pleasure he tries is laughter. 
He says in verse two, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? Now, before you write him off as a curmudgeon, he's not saying laughing is a bad thing. In fact, he will say later in Ecclesiastes, laughter is a wonderful gift. He will write in the book of Proverbs that laughter is good medicine for the heart. And so what's he talking about? What's madness? Well, I think I might translate that word laughter a little differently. If you're on your notes, I translated it as entertainment. Entertainment. While entertainment may provide relief at times, it may provide escape, here's his conclusion. It's madness to think that filling your life with entertainment will satisfy your deepest longing. But let's just be honest, we do this every day. When I get bored, what's the first thing I think about doing? Entertaining myself. However, that, that, that comes across, right? Maybe I'm gonna pull up a YouTube video so I can get a quick laugh. Maybe I'm gonna look at the Facebook post that I missed after I checked it the last 30 minutes ago. I'm gonna entertain myself. Maybe, as is common today, we wanna spend an entire weekend binging on a Netflix show. We fill our lives with entertainment, thinking. That's going to fulfill us and satisfy us. But as Neil Postman wrote over 30 years ago in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, if we're not careful, entertainment can become like a drug we keep filling our lives with without even being aware of what it may be doing to us. That is Solomon's experience, friends. You want to know what this is up here for? Well, Solomon tried every pleasure the world had to offer, including laughter, including entertainment. Is laughing a bad thing? No. Is entertainment a bad thing? No. I'm going to say this often as we go through these. However, if I make entertainment and laughter the chief end in my life, here's what you will discover. It's Hevel. It's here one moment. There it is. (laughs) But it's going away. So I try to fill myself with more entertainment and more entertainment and more entertainment, but what I discover, it doesn't actually satisfy my soul. Second thing Solomon tried was alcohol. Nothing new under the sun. Food, drugs, alcohol, whatever. Verse three, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind was still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what good what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives, just like entertainment, alcohol, food, drugs. It's a popular way to find enjoyment in life today or perhaps to escape from the realities of life today. And just like laughter, there are times in Scripture where it says that food and wine and moderation, it's a gift from God that can be drunk or eaten with gladness and joy. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says this very thing. But also like entertainment, too much of it, making it the primary pursuit of our life, will only leave you wanting. Of course, we never see that side of it in our culture, do we? Never. Turn on the TV, I love watching sports, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna watch football, I'm gonna watch my Vikings go 2-0. What is the number one commercial you will see on a football game? Every commercial has, every commercial break. It's a beer commercial. And those beer commercials show us fantasy. They show us, here's what happens when you drink beer. You have friends all around you. It's always a party. It's always great. But they never show the other side of it. What if one day they showed a beer commercial of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting? 
or a man hugging a toilet at 3 a.m., or a woman being taken advantage of, or a father who is raging and abusing his wife and children. We never see that side of where alcohol can bring us because we're fed the lie. The lie our culture believes that these things are what are gonna satisfy you. That alcohol or food or drugs, that's the thing that's really gonna give you meaning and satisfaction in your life, so drink up. But the buzz only lasts for a couple hours. It's hevel, it's vapor, it's mist. It's gone. The third thing he tries is he builds immaculate homes and gardens. He builds immaculate homes and gardens. Look at verse four. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. With more money than he knew what to do with, Solomon built, check this out, plural, homes and gardens. I found it interesting, the root word that is used there for garden comes from this idea of paradise. He created a paradise here on earth, but don't miss it, it was just for him. These weren't public parks. These were personal homes, personal gardens, all for his own pleasure, and yet let me ask you something, where are these homes and gardens today? Can you visit them? Can you see them? No, they're gone. They're a vapor, they're a mist. There was no lasting satisfaction in them. They cannot answer the question of the meaning of life. They, like everything else mentioned here, please hear me say this, it's not wrong. It's not wrong that we build homes, it's not wrong that we build gardens, they're not bad. However, if I make this the primary pursuit of my life, well, here's what you're gonna discover. No matter how big a home, no matter how many of them, no matter how nice your gardens, they cannot satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. Fourth thing Solomon tries is power. Look at verse seven. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house to own another human being, that is power. Though the kind of slavery mentioned here differs from the kind of slavery we think about in America's history, the principle remains inhumanly the same. One person owned by another person like property. Now we might be sitting here going, this one doesn't apply to us anymore, but don't we seek power in other ways? For example, have you ever looked down on someone who isn't like you? Have you ever judged someone for their differences the way they look? the color of their skin, their accent, those are all ways that we simply power up over others. And here's the dangerous thing about power. Have you learned this yet? It actually gives us a little bit of jolt. It gives us something. It gives us a quick jolt of superiority. And so we think that's gonna be the answer to life's problems. That's what's gonna find me meaning if I could just gain more and more power over somebody, but it always leaves us empty. Maybe for you, power looks like something different. Maybe it means that promotion at work. You think when you're finally sitting in that corner office with the two windows, and you can boss other people around, well, that's when the good life is gonna come. 
but I've talked to enough people who live in the corner office. It's a lonely place. You know why? Because the corner office cannot satisfy your soul. It's here one day, and it's gone the next. It's like vapor. It's like mist. It's like chasing after the wind. The next thing Solomon tries, we see here, is money and possessions. We can skip this one, right? I mean, this has no bearing on our lives today. The rest of verse and eight, seven, verses seven and eight show us just how wealthy Solomon was. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. That was a way they measured wealth back then. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. You wanna know how wealthy Solomon was? I'll just give you a tiny taste of it. In 1 Kings 10, 14, it says, the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Well, I don't know what that means. Well, let me tell you what it means. That means he received 25 tons of gold every year. This dude was rich. Super rich, like .000001% rich. Verse 23 goes on to describe it this way. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all other kings of the earth. So when it comes to money and positions, this guy has it all. And yet, and yet, here's the question. Did it satisfy him? Hear what Solomon says in my own words. He says, I built more stuff and bought more stuff than anyone else around me. I had more homes and cars and computers and 401ks and IRAs and employees than anyone else around me. I had it all. I have more than you will ever dream of having. But it wasn't enough to satisfy my heart. Some of you are here this morning, you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, that's just not true. When I buy that new iPhone 10, I'm gonna get a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment from that. And here's the truth you actually will get some satisfaction from that. And it'll last maybe a day or a week or a couple months. But then you'll need something else to give you that satisfaction. You'll need to buy something else to give you that satisfaction. If you think this is just me standing up here, this is how your brain and my brain actually work. We have a pleasurable agent in our brain and we can meet that, but what happens is that over time I need more and more in order to meet the same pleasurable agent in my brain. That's how addictions start. That's how they happen, we need more, we need more, we need more, we need more, but it never actually satisfies. Money and possessions, not evil, not wrong, not bad, but when I make this the primary pursuit of my life, it will, like all these things, leave me empty. Sixth thing Solomon tried was music. This is a common pleasure to us today. Music, verse eight says, I acquired male and female singers. We don't think much about this today, about music, but music was super rare in those days. I want you to think about this. Basically, you could hire your own band to come to your home and play all your favorite songs every day. How awesome would that be? That's what he did. He had a living sound system piping through his homes and his gardens all the time. Now let me just ask you to be honest with yourself. Do you think hearing your favorite band in concert a thousand times would eventually wear off the happiness meter? Music can't satisfy us. Is it bad? No, it's a good thing. It's 
a wonderful thing. And yet if I'm looking that for satisfaction, I know when I was a teenager, this is one of the things I pursued. I just wanted to escape from the realities of the world and so I just put my headphones on and I thought that's where I was gonna fill my soul but I always had to take them off eventually. And the realities of the world were waiting for me. I had to face them again. So listen, music, as good as it is, it just can't. It can't offer you what your heart and your soul is looking for. Now, if you know anything about Solomon, the next thing he went after is sex. Number seven. Verse 8 says, he had a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. This is defined for us in 1 Kings 11.3. Solomon had 700 concubines and 300 wives. More sexual partners than anyone could imagine. I told you his experience was relevant to 2017 because we live in a society that is sexually stimulated 24-7, 365. We have made a god of sex. I'm not exaggerating. We've made a god of sex. We worship it. If you don't believe me, think about the multi-billion dollar porn industry. Think about every time you're checking out of a grocery store and the Cosmo magazine staring down at you saying, here's 15 more ways that you can have great sex. People really believe that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We are trying to find our ultimate fulfillment in sexual pleasure. But the unending pursuit of sexual pleasure will not fulfill you. It will only leave you empty. There was recently a Playboy Playmate, I read about this this week, who became a Christian. She spoke with a Christian TV ministry about her experience. I'm not gonna get into any detail, but trust me, she experienced it all. And here are her words, just listen to her words. When you go down that road, sex becomes less and less satisfying and more and more perverse, and then it finally becomes utterly worthless. It doesn't mean anything to anyone. Who does that sound like? Meaningless, worthless, hevel. Those are words from someone who went down this road. She lived this out. She's telling us, she's begging us, listen, just like Solomon's doing, goading us. The unending pursuit of sexual fulfillment is actually gonna kill the kind of intimate relationships that God designed us to have. It's gonna take you down a path you don't wanna go. The question is, will we believe her? Will we believe Solomon? Again, sex in the way God designed it is a good thing. It's a good gift he has given in a covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. But if I make sex my God, it will eventually become a demon. And it will leave me empty. And it will leave me wanting. The last thing Solomon pursued that he thought he might gain some satisfaction from is affirmation. Look at verse nine, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. He was the greatest person alive, despite what Muhammad Ali says. He was popular, he got straight A's, he sat with the cool kids in the cafeteria. Everyone loved him. Today, if he was alive, his face would be on Fortune magazine. It would be in the annual issue of of Architectural Digest, all his homes. He would have 
pop stars singing at his birthday party, supermodels hanging off his arm. He would be number one in people's top celebrity list. He had it all, at least how we defined it. And just like all the rest of these things, he discovered something. He says, if you think that's the road to satisfaction, if you think affirmation is the good life, if you think being popular is the way that you're gonna have that longing deep in your heart fulfilled, well, learn a lesson from me. It's hevel. It cannot fill the void in your life. So what's the result of Solomon's search for satisfaction and pleasure? What happens when we make pleasure the main thing? Look at what he says in verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Whatever I wanted, I got. But then after experiencing what we call the good life, here are the words he writes in verse 11. Would you read them out loud on your notes with me? He says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Just picture that a moment. Picture someone chasing after the wind. Foolish. You can't keep the wind. You can't bottle the wind. You can't save it for a rainy day. The wind is here one moment, and it's gone the next, and that is what Solomon concludes about pleasure. If you're following on your notes, here's his conclusion. Pleasure as an end in itself simply cannot satisfy. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. I know it. Because if you're anything like me, you're thinking, I don't buy this. He's a pastor, he's supposed to say these things. I mean, let's just be honest, wouldn't you like to at least try to see if all the pleasures in the world might bring satisfaction? Wouldn't you like to live as a king? Wouldn't you at least like to maybe upgrade your home a little bit so that you could have better views and some better gardens? Wouldn't you like to try and experiment if these things might fill your heart, friends? I'm gonna flip that upside down with you right now. I bet you Solomon might actually envy us today. Generally speaking, did you know we live in better homes than he ever did? With better furniture and climate control, and don't forget about this, bathroom facilities. When you go to the grocery store, you can buy almost any food that you want from the whole world. We have much wider variety of music available to us right now. I have any music I want available in the palm of my hand. And as far as sex is concerned, the internet is filled with an endless supply of virtual partners. And if the statistics are right, over 50% of men in the church are seeking them. We have it all. We have it all. But study after study shows that as Americans, we are becoming increasingly unhappy. As each year goes by, we become increasingly unhappy, not happy. These things that promise our happiness, they just aren't coming through. 
But that's the great lie that you and I are led to believe every day we're alive. Our lives in the West are filled to the brim with illusions and delusions that are constantly telling us this thing, this thing, that thing, this thing, that's gonna satisfy. There's always other ways to increase our income, to be healthier, to increase our sexual pleasure, our popularity, our influence, our power. Always, always, always there's another way to satisfy you. But what if we actually believed what Solomon says here? What if Ecclesiastes is here to goad us? Not to go down the same path he went down. Not because God is a spoil sport, but because God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And in his love, he's pleading with us in the book of Ecclesiastes. These things will not fill your heart. Learn this lesson from Ecclesiastes or learn it from sad experience, the pleasures of life as an end in themselves will not satisfy your deepest desire. Now I want to ask the question with you, why is that? Why can't these things satisfy us? Why can't pleasures fully satisfy? Well, to use Solomon's language here, it's because life under the sun isn't all you were created for. He will say later that he has put eternity in the hearts of man. In other words, life under the sun isn't all there is for us, and we know that. There's something deep inside of us that knows that these pleasures, they're only temporary. They can't fulfill. They're here one moment. They're gone the next. So get this. I just want you to see how brilliant our God is. He actually put a mechanism in each human being that we are dissatisfied when we chase pleasures as the chief ends in our lives because that dissatisfaction will ultimately lead us back to him. That's how brilliant God is. When he made you, when he made me, he put a little mechanism in my heart that said, you can go after those things all you want, but it won't fill you. If you're following on your notes here there, God made us with a longing that can only be satisfied in him. He made you and me with a longing that can only be satisfied in him. In his essay, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis famously addresses this search that we go after for the joys under the sun offered us. He writes, I have this on the screen if you want to follow. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. These are the same things Solomon said. Even though there are pleasures in this world that are ours to use, they cannot satisfy when only God can. Only God can. There's a story in the New Testament that reminds me a lot of Solomon. One day Jesus is traveling through Samaria. Ugh. That's what the people thought. Those people didn't deserve Jesus' presence. But he believed they did. And so he stopped in a town in Samaria. He stopped by a well, and a woman met him at this well. And this woman was just like Solomon. She was seeking after the pleasures of this world to satisfy her heart. For her, in particular, it was with relationships with men. She thought, if I just got the right man, then I'm going to be satisfied. And she went through men. She was on her sixth man, and she meets Jesus. And in love and compassion, Jesus challenges her. And he says these words to her in John 4.10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now this phrase, living water, really intrigues her. 
She wants to know about this living water. At first she's confused. She thinks it's some sort of physical water, maybe like another one of these pleasures that we can experience. But Jesus means something much different when he talks about living water. He explains it to her in verse 14, which is on your notes. Would you read that out loud with me? He says, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. These waters will never satisfy, but what I offer you will. I offer you living water. In the simplest way I know how, living water, if you're on your notes, is life in and with Christ as the chief end. The primary pursuit, the main thing. If seeing him as the only one who can satisfy my soul and and then I draw close to him. I walk in step with his spirit, I trust his word and I trust his way is the way to a fulfilling, satisfied life. And so I'll just use our illustration here. Jesus says, none of these things are gonna satisfy but I will offer you something that does. Every one of you. Because I made you, I created you, I know that you were made for a relationship with me, so I will give you living water. Living water that is not hevel, that will remain, not only in life under the sun, but life eternal. Now here's the cool thing, it's when we get this right, It's when we make this our primary pursuit, here's how I wanna close this morning, when we receive that, when we believe that, we can actually enjoy all the other pleasures of life God has given us. God's not a spoil sport here, but he does know what is gonna satisfy your soul. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 33, famous words, can we read these out loud on the screen? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Make me first. Drink deeply from the living water that I offer you. Then you will see life's pleasures in the proper context. Not as an ends, but as a means. As a means to glorify me and enjoy me. In fact, if you're falling on your notes there, if your pleasures can become a means to glorify God and enjoy him. Making these things the ultimate thing though, It'll leave you empty. Making the living water, relationship with Christ, the ultimate thing, it'll fill you up. And then, here's what's awesome. Is God against laughter? See a spoil sport? How dare you laugh? No. He says, when you make me the primary thing, you actually can give glory to God when you are fellowshipping with other people and you guys are enjoying that. You're laughing. Glorify God. We can glorify God as we entertain ourselves, if you so to speak. What else we got here? Money and possessions? Are these evil? No, they're neutral. In fact, we can use these, he says, when we put him as our first priority, as the chief end in our life, we can use these things for his glory and for our enjoyment. We can build homes. We can open up our homes for hospitality. We can build churches so that more people can know about the living water. All of that can be done to the glory of God and for our enjoyment. Power, is power wrong in and of itself? No, some of us are put in positions of power. It's how we use that power 
that will determine whether we glorify God. So if I take my power like Jesus did and I submit myself, if I humble myself, if I become a servant leader, that is a way I can glorify God and enjoy him forever. Sex, is sex bad? Sex is a good gift God has given us in the proper context in a relationship between a husband and wife. Enjoy it. You can glorify God in that relationship. I could go on and on here, right? Money, homes, gardens, all these things. When they're put in the proper perspective, they are things that we can enjoy and actually use to glorify God. You were made with the capacity to be one of the happiest people ever. But heed the warning of Solomon, you will never find it for living with your own pleasure. You will only find it as you drink deeply Drink deeply from the living water and make him your chief pursuit. This is how we glorify God and enjoy him, not just in our brief life under the sun, but forever and ever. Amen? When Jesus came on the scene, his first message was repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is near. And so we're gonna spend just a couple moments doing that very thing. Don't think of repentance as a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's simply naming reality. And so I have two questions on the bottom of your notes there, and we're gonna go through a bit of an exercise here. The first question is a repentance question. We can all ask this. What pleasure am I chasing after that I think will satisfy me? Maybe it's one of these eight, maybe it's one I haven't even mentioned. Their pleasure's abounding, but let's just name reality right now. Is there something in your life that you think if you get It will satisfy your soul. We're trusting that the Holy Spirit is present with us now. That if you're open and honest, if you let him examine your heart, he will reveal that. He has shown me some things that I I put too much hope in. I put too much trust in. Repentance is a gift. Name it. Name the thing. Write it down if you need to. But Jesus' invitation is not just to repent, it's also to believe. To believe the good news that we've heard today. And so here's my question for you there. If you're on your notes, we're finishing. How can I look to the living water for satisfaction this week? Don't put your notes away. I just want you to get very tangible here. Do you believe what Solomon has said to us this morning? Do you believe that the pleasures of the world will not and cannot satisfy your soul? If you do, then I wonder, is there something tangibly this week that you could do as you drink deeply from the living water? Maybe it's setting more time aside to be in God's word. Maybe it's inviting some people over to your home to open it up to hospitality. What would it look like for you to find satisfaction in the living water? Could I challenge you to write something specific down? Nothing becomes dynamic in our lives until it becomes specific. Is he inviting you into relationship somehow? That's what he does just like the woman at the well. 
how can we taste and see that the Lord is good this week?